there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. We've all heard about the law of the jungle, survival of the fittest, natural selection, dog eat dog, and all this may appear to be negative ways to describe life, but it's only really negative if we're negative or if we're identified with life, which means these are all negative ways to describe life because pretty much we're all identified with life, and when we're identified with life, that makes us negative. We've got ants in our kitchen the past few days. This time of year, you get ants in your kitchen. Ants come in for food and water. If it's really dry outside, and there's, they'll come in for food and water. Connie's the exterminator in that family. I talk to them and explain their peril, admonishing them to leave. Amazingly, about 90% of them generally do. I talked to them the other morning and said, look, you really don't belong in here. You're in the way. We're big. You're little. We will sweep hundreds of you aside without knowing we're doing it, just in the course of living our lives. So go outside and do what you have to do out there. And uh, again, Connie got up and and I heard her come into the kitchen and go, ants. <laughs> I said, yeah, we got ants. <laughs> That's the signal, you know, that she has realized we have ants in the kitchen. And and then she does whatever it is she does. She talks to them, too. I heard her the other day talking to them while she had the vacuum cleaner out. She's vacuuming up all the ants, and she's uh, talking to them. So we both talk to them. We just have different approaches <laughs> to what we have to say, I guess. So the other morning while I was talking to them, I remembered that the indigenous Americans valued ants as nature's dry cleaners. They used to take their buffalo robes or whatever they had and throw them on ant mounds and let the ants come and clean off all the grease and all the whatever was on there that they had dropped on there, however they had gotten, gotten them dirty. And the ants would come and just clean it all off. And all of a sudden, I saw ants in a new way. I was able to thank them for being in the kitchen, for doing what they were doing, because obviously we'd left things out, left things on the counter, left things hadn't cleaned properly. And they were in there cleaning up. And so once I looked at it that way, there was a whole bunch of them. I thought, well, maybe there's a piece of food there. So I took a sponge and wiped across. There was no food there. It was just something that had dripped on the counter in a very difficult place to reach. And they were cleaning that up. And after I wiped them away, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa sorry, guys, you know, go, go back to work. But when you're done, leave because you don't have much time left. I realized as I thought about this that that whole thing, seeing them in a new way, was really bringing the work up to the level of incoming impressions. And it was circumventing fixed attitudes. We've all got fixed attitudes about ants. We've all got fixed attitudes about flies, bees, bugs, insects, animals, rats, cockroaches. We all have fixed attitudes about these things. These things have their place and we have our place. And given who we are and what we are, what we think we are, their place is much, much, much lower than our place. They don't have much right to be on this planet from our perspective. If they're in our way, they should be eliminated. And that whole idea is a conglomeration inside of us of fixed attitudes that we rarely ever look at, that we rarely ever become aware of, that we rarely ever see. So it was that time of realizing there is another way of seeing these creatures. And it doesn't hurt me to see them in another way. 
As a matter of fact, it enlarges me to be able to see them in another way, to be able to respect them as part of the organic film of life coding this planet, as part of the same system that I'm stuck in. Everything must eat to live. Not everything eats the same things to live. Higher beings eat finer foods. The ants were in there eating things that we wouldn't eat. And you'll notice worms and ants and bugs and crickets, they all eat things that we wouldn't eat. So we have to have a a finer, higher food source for us to survive, where they can survive on a lower food source that's not as fine. By finer, I don't mean smaller or more refined, like refined sugar or refined flour. Gertie's example was that of a potato. He said a raw potato can be eaten by animals, but a cooked potato can be eaten by man. The theory is that if a higher being eats you, you're better off than if a lower being eats you. A raw potato can be eaten by animals, but a cooked potato is eaten by man. So that makes the cooked potato better off than the raw potato, according to this theory in this system of of the fourth way. A finer substance has, in the work sense, more power. So if a cooked potato is more clever, that's one of the things that they say in the fourth way, a cooked potato is more clever than its raw brother because it has served something higher. So a raw potato, an animal ate, but a cooked potato, a human being ate. And so therefore, because a human being is a higher order of being than an animal, or potentially, I guess I should say, even not potentially. I mean, we still have a a, a capacity to think, even mechanically, that animals don't have. They're at an instinctive level. We have learned how to think. We have learned these attitudes. We have acquired these things, which means we can acquire other attitudes and other things, whereas they have their instinctual process, their instinctive process that's passed on through their DNA. We have that too, but we, all have, we also have something else where we can acquire something. We can acquire knowledge. We can acquire a different way of looking at things, a different way of thinking of things. And that makes us a higher order of being than just your basic animal. Although man can revert to just a basic animal and live pretty much just by instincts and acquired attitudes, which unfortunately is what most of the people on this planet are doing. And it's called serving nature. It's called giving nature its due. So nature requires this of us, and we give nature what it requires of us without thinking about it just mechanically in the same way that the animals do. Think about what the work means by finer qualities. It's not refined, it's not smaller, but it's more power, more energy, more force. That's just something to think about. Without three foods, we cannot live, according to this teaching. The required food is the regular food that we eat, our ordinary food and water. Then there's air. And then the third food is impression. So man is likened to like a three-story building. The first level, the first floor, is where we take in food. And the work assigns a number to that food. And that number is H768. So hydrogen 768, it calls it. Now, the next level, the middle level of that three-story house that represents us, is the story where air comes in. So the food that is taken in at that level is air. And that hydrogen has its, has its own um, number two, 192. So there's 768, 192. And then finally, the next level, the top level, the highest level in this three-story house that represents us is where impressions come in. And impressions have a designation as well. And that's H48, so hydrogen 48. So 768, 192, and 48. Now, 768, obviously, if you eat a cooked potato, 
something has to happen to it for you to be able to use it. It has to be transformed. It has to be made into finer and finer materials so that it can be assimilated by the body because we know that it can't get into the bloodstream as a cooked potato. So the first thing we do is first thing we do is we cook the potato. So that makes it more palatable to us. It, that refines it in a way that raises its energy level. And then we put it in our mouths, we chew it up and mix it with enzymes and we swallow it and that starts the transformation process. So it's transformed into something finer now because it's smaller, but it's also mixed with enzymes so a transformation process begins there. Then it hits the stomach and the digestive juices and so on and so forth and then air is added to it. And so finally it finishes this whole transformation process and it can feed the body. We know that what we put in has to be transformed at different levels. And we know there's a certain process that goes on. We know the same thing about air. Air, in and of itself, you know you inhale, but you also exhale. Well, what is it you exhale? You exhale what you couldn't use of the air that you inhaled, and you also exhale waste from your body that comes out of your blood, that comes out of your lungs, that comes out of your body. We know that there's a transformation process that goes on with air. Now we have these two transformation processes that are done for us automatically. We don't have to know anything about them. You can do that in your sleep. You can you could do that in the sleep that you're in right now, or you can do it in the sleep that you're in when you're on your bed, lying there on your bed and your moving center is not active. Or you could even do it in this, this misty, foggy sleep that you're in now where you're trying to listen and you're trying to remember yourself. You're trying to be awake. You're trying to be aware that you're sitting here in that chair, that you're in a body, but you're also listening to this, but you're not your body, but you're also listening to this. You're observing your body and you're trying to observe me and you're trying to observe what impressions are coming up to you. So that's that's a lot of work. So when you start to nod off, I usually understand why. It's because it's so much work and it takes so much force and so much energy and it starts to steal energy from our first love. And what, of course, is our first love? Right, negative emotions. So it starts to steal energy. Being here starts to steal energy from negative emotions. So what we do about that is we try and find a way to be here and still have our negative emotions. So how do we do that? Well, we don't like the noise that he's making. We don't like that she's sitting too close to him. We don't like that she nods her head. We don't like that somebody else interrupts. We don't like this. We don't like that. So we get to have our negative emotions and be here too. It's the best of both worlds. See, we're very creative. We always find ways to be able to do what we want to do and pretend that we're doing this work because mostly that's what this is. Mostly what we call working is pretense. It's imagination. We don't really work. We just imagine that we work while we're really just entertaining our attitudes and our negative emotions and our mechanicalness. If you're still with me, then I'm sorry about that, but I have to call them like I see them. And sometimes the way I see them isn't necessarily the most flattering thing to us, to our pictures of ourselves, to our ideas of how we're really so much better than everybody else because we're here and they're not, all that stuff. So you have these three levels where H768 comes in, H192 comes in, H48 comes in. And you can already see that these three different kinds of food are already finer and finer. So you have the coarse food, 768. That's not very fine, but it's finer than the raw potato or it's finer than a rock or it's finer than a piece of wood. Then you have the air, which is finer, and you have impressions, which are finer still. But impressions are not transformed for us. They come in H48 and they either stay that way or they get heavier. They turn into H96. 
through negative emotions, through old associations, through our fixed attitudes that take those impressions and turn them into something else. You can take a flat impression, an H48, like a plain white piece of paper, and it's this person. But you have some associations, some old associations, some, some negative associations about this person. So you see this person, and that H48 starts to turn into something else. It starts to turn into, I just hate this person. Why does they always have to do this? Blah, 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 blah. And now you're feeding yourself with not a finer food, but a denser food, a heavier food, a more negative food, and it does harm to your body. In other words, most of the illnesses that people get on this planet are from impressions. They're not from food. We know that people can get sick from food. We know that people, if they don't have enough of this food or enough of that food or too much of this food or too much of that food to get out of balance, they get sick. That's a given. We know that bad water and bad air will do the same thing. But bad impressions will do the same thing. And we're taking in impressions all the time. Every second, every nanosecond, we're taking in impressions. Yes, even in our sleep, we're taking in impressions. We're just taking them in unconsciously. And of course, that's as bad as taking H768, regular food, ordinary food, in unconsciously. If you keep taking it in unconsciously, you could die. You could poison yourself. All kinds of things can happen. Same thing with air. You can get bad air and it'll kill you. Bad impressions will kill you as well. But we don't think about that. And the wonderful thing about this work is it puts it in a way that even we can understand. Pretty much where humanity has come to over the last 2,000 years is a much denser place than it was. We have technologically advanced, but psychologically we have become retarded. What people knew 2,000 years ago, we don't have a clue about. What people accepted as the way it is 2,000 years ago, we don't have a clue about it. 2,000 years ago, somebody could go out and pull something up out of the ground and eat it. Now, we wouldn't know what to pull up out of the ground and what to do with it or how to eat it. or We wouldn't even know if we could eat it or not. There are a lot of things that have changed, but it's not necessarily for the better. Without three foods, we cannot live. Dying of a broken heart is really impression starvation. Going without sunshine can kill you. What is sunshine? Is that what, what kind of food is sunshine? Is that hydrogen 768? Is it air? No. It's an impression. Sunshine is an impression. See, we don't think like that. We don't think that without that impression, you can get very, very sick. And if you don't have that impression at all, you can die. We strut about the earth as if we were the highest life form here. But what we don't understand is that we too are food for something. Everything is being eaten and everything is eating. So we too are food. That doesn't mean that something comes along, although an animal can come along if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and kill you and eat your body. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't mean we're food in that way, although we can be. And eventually, and, and your body is food because there's something living on your skin right now eating things. So there is bacteria that is eating off of us, living off of us. But that's a symbiotic thing. There's, there's a beneficial, a symbiotic benefit to that. They're doing something for us, we're doing something for them. What I'm talking about is that intellectually, higher beings can feed off of us, can feed off of our energy, can feed off of the energy that we put out. This is a difficult concept for some people, so take it slow. Try not to object too much and just try and open your mind a little bit and think of the possibility of this. If you've ever read The Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, then you have an idea of what this is about. Now, that's just one side of it, and that's the side of it that is most relevant to us, given our negative emotions, given our attitudes, given our automatic mechanical state of taking in impressions and turning them into something that they're not, but not turning them into something finer, turning them into something worse. 
If man rises to an energy of H24, hydrogen 24, he feeds whatever eats hydrogen 24, and that will be at hydrogen 12. So hydrogen 12, whatever is at living at hydrogen 12, will eat hydrogen 24. It will feed off of that. You feed off of what? Hydrogen 48, hydrogen 192, and hydrogen 768. That's what you feed off of. So hydrogen 12 will feed off of hydrogen 24. Hydrogen 6 will feed off of hydrogen 12. So hydrogen 6 beings will feed off of hydrogen 12 beings. Hydrogen 12 beings will feed off of hydrogen 24 beings. But you have to get to 24 before you can feed a hydrogen 12 being. At hydrogen 48, you're feeding hydrogen 24 beings. But at hydrogen 96, what are you feeding? We don't really want to know. (laughs) I can promise you, you don't really want to know. But read the screw tape letters, and that'll give you an idea, a very good idea. Lewis, he really put it brilliantly. So read it. Read the book and see what you think. At our level, hydrogen 48, we feed something nasty because we're not clever. We're not cooked. We're not cooking ourselves. We're not raising our own. We're not transforming the impressions of of H48. So we're feeding something that's not so nice. We're not feeding higher beings. We've got to get up to hydrogen 24 before we can start to feed higher beings, before you can be a benefit. Let's talk about feeding one another. Let's talk about how we come here and or people go to church on Sunday morning and they'll say, well, that was good food. Have you ever heard people say things like that? The preacher will talk and they will say, well, that was good food. And people will go, well, yeah, he fed me. So essentially, we're talking about impressions. We're talking about feeding people impressions. My job here is basically feeding impressions. It's feeding you impressions and helping you or instructing you or telling you ways that they can be transformed into higher impressions, that you can lift your spirits, as it were, that you can advance yourself psychologically, that you can develop yourself spiritually by mixing these ideas, these higher ideas, these powerful ideas that come from outside of our system with the regular impressions that we get every day. Mix the ideas together and create something new. Transform those impressions from hydrogen 48 into hydrogen 24 into hydrogen 12 and even into hydrogen 6. It's all possible for us. All of that is possible. We can do that. But it's not done for us like the regular food we eat and the regular air we breathe. It's something that we have to do, which is why it goes undone. If we have to do it for ourselves and it's not done for us, most people won't do it. If you have a choice between you get up and fix dinner or somebody fixes dinner for you and serves it to you, what do you pick nine out of ten times? Well, there you go. If somebody's going to do it for you, then you're not going to do it for yourself. You have to really want something. You have to really want to eat to get up and fix dinner, to get up and fix whatever it is. You've got to really want to eat or you've got to really want to serve somebody. Either way, it will work. If you really want to eat, you can transform something from one level to another level. If you want to serve somebody, you can transform something to an even higher level through service. Because that's a bigger, higher, more powerful idea than self. So it already places you in a position in the ray of creation where you begin to understand your position in a different way. Instead of everyone should serve me, I am not as wonderful as I thought I was. I have a service that I can offer to other people. That already begins to transform the impressions that you bring in that are coming at you all the time. That already begins to transform them into something finer. Then, when you're like that, you become palatable to something higher. But when you're nasty, dirty, negative, grungy, dark, something higher doesn't want to eat you any more than you like to go out and pick up earthworms and snails and cockroaches and rats and eat them. And if you do, you certainly want to clean them first. 
people who go out there and get snails out of their garden, they put them in a box of cornmeal first, and they let the cornmeal run through the snails and clean the snails out, and then they eat them. Then they cook them and eat them, which is not exactly my cup of tea, but okay, if that's what you want to do, that's your business. I can think of higher things that I can eat, higher things that I can feed off of than snails and cockroaches and rats and things of that description, although it is possible to eat those things and survive. That doesn't mean I want to or need to. So at our level, we feed something nasty because we're really not clever or cooked the way they put it in like a potato. We're not cooked. We haven't really refined ourselves to the point. And it's something that you have to do. You have to refine yourself. You have to cook yourself. So in a sense, that's what we're doing here. We're cooking ourselves. We're trying to raise our level of being. We're trying to raise our hydrogen level so that we can feed something else, become part of something higher, which is what feed something else means. It means you become part of something higher. It means part of you is taken up into that. I'm not going to go into the terms and everything that the fourth way uses because people go absolutely crazy beyond this stuff and start making up weird, weird things. It's just weird stuff. People start floating around then, you know, oh, well, I've, uh, I'm an angel now. And uh, then someone else will come up, well, I'm an archangel. So for us, do me a favor, just stay away from that. And just don't go there. We've got enough ego problems. We got enough pride and vanity without having to go there. Uh, and the people who go there, just let them go. Don't bother with them. Just let them go. You don't need to be a part of that. Yeah, if you want to, there's plenty of places you can go. Just look on the internet. There are all kinds of uh, angel training sessions and archangel training sessions and all the wonderful things you can do when you get there. And that's fine. Then go do that and I'll just stay here and work with the rest of you. Maurice Nicole said, if we are cleverer, we will be absorbed mentally into beings of a higher level and participate in things quite marvelous that coarser beings cannot participate in. I saw something the other day. Somebody uh, had a video of a cat watching television. And I can promise you this, the cat was not watching television the same way, well, maybe it was. I was going to say the cat wasn't watching television the same way you watch television. But then I've seen some of you watch television and eat your little drool cups and everything. And I think, well, maybe the cat was watching television the same way you do. People do tend to vegetate when they watch TV. But let's say uh, you're watching the History Channel or something, the Discovery Channel or something you really want to learn about. So you bring a little more to it than just watching a commercial where you're going, oh, well, yes, okay, I'm going to go buy that. You know, we're, we're just taking impressions in and we're being suggestible and we're being idiots and machines like we are. And then we go out and we buy something we don't know why we bought it because we don't even know that we watched the commercial. We don't even know that we heard the words going in. We don't even know because we took in all the impressions mechanically, unconsciously. And so we are at the effect of them. But let's say you're watching something that takes some attention. It takes you actually paying attention and thinking about what it is, directing your attention and thinking about what it is that they're saying. Let's say you're doing that. I promise you the cat's not watching TV like that. But anyway, this cat was watching TV and then turned around and looked with big eyes at the camera and then turned back at the TV and watch and then look around with big eyes again. And then it would swat the TV and turn around and look again. And this was the whole idea was that this cat is, you know, really emotional about watching TV. Well, of course, it's not at all. How intelligent can YouTube be? People stuffed with attitudes, pride, self-merit, false personality aren't fit for consumption by beings of a higher order of intelligence. It's just that simple. We're poisonous. We're toxic. When the atmosphere around us and in us and our states are negative, we are toxic. We're not just toxic to ourselves. We're toxic to the people we're around. How much do you enjoy being around negative people? Well, you enjoy it a lot if you're being negative with them. 
But if you're not being negative with them, if you don't want, like they're being negative toward you, you don't enjoy it at all. You actually experience it as what it really is, toxic. It's toxic to you, and it's just as toxic to them. It's like getting drunk. And this is exactly what the work says. You get off the carriage, you go into the bar, and you start to drink. And you start to drink imagination in the bar, but, but we'll just call it alcohol. But you're drinking, and you're drinking, and you're drinking, and you get drunk. And you're spending all your money, you're spending all your energy, you're spending all your time there, while the carriage and the horse are all going untended. And so you're in there doing that instead of out here doing what you're supposed to be doing. The next day, if you're not still in the bar, if you do stagger out of the bar or fall asleep at the table or under the table or whatever people do, when you wake up, you're going to have a hangover. Have you ever awakened from a negative emotion hangover? Yeah. It can really be heavy and toxic. You just want to take a shower. You want to cleanse yourself of all the garbage that you took in and that you wallowed in. And that's what meditation is. Meditation is a way to start to purify some of these negative emotions that we so often indulge in. This work is about purifying ourselves from these negative emotions that we so often indulge in and teaching us how not to continually indulge in them unconsciously. And of course, you don't really indulge in negative emotions consciously. You just imagine that you're conscious when actually you're just little more than a reaction machine. You're simply reacting to something and that is making you negative. But remember what I said last week or a couple of weeks ago, if you're negative, you're to blame. It's nobody's fault but your own. There is no one else responsible for your negativity. If you're negative, you did it. And that's the good news. Because if you're negative and you did it, then you can undo it. But if someone else did it to you, you're a victim and you can't do anything about not being negative except wait for someone to come along and undo it for you. But that is not what's up for us because we have a possibility of evolution. We have a possibility of growth. We have a possibility of transformation. We can do it ourselves. So that means that we can make ourselves negative, but we can also eliminate that negativity from ourselves as well. Impressions can undergo three transformations, 48 to 24, 24 to 12, and 12 to 6. So any impressions that you get, you can transform them up from 48. They come in at 48. You can transform them up to 24. Then, if you'll keep working at it, you can transform that impression to 24, now up to 12. And if you'll keep working at it, you can transform that 12 to 6. You can refine it that much. Man, taking in three different kinds of food, is susceptible to three kinds of bad food. Good food or bad food. 768 at the lower floor, you can get a bad piece of whatever. And if you've ever had, what do they call that? Food poisoning, yeah. <laughs> if you've ever had food poisoning at that level, the 768 level, it can be very coarse. It can be very coarse and nasty. And then if you've had bad food at the middle level, the 192 level, the air level, you know that can make you mighty sick. It can kill you. People who don't get enough oxygen or people who get too much carbon monoxide, and it'll kill you. So it can make you sick. You get bad air and you get sick to your stomach and get very ill. It's not as coarse as the 768 sickness, though, is it? And then bad impressions, bad food at age 48 can make you sick too, but it's even finer. So it's even more difficult for us to put our finger on. Gurdjieff said that most ill people are ill first psychologically. It's bad digestion in a top floor due to identification. This is our big problem, isn't it? Constantly comes back at us, constantly shows up. Identification, identification, identification. We get negative because we identify. We identify with something that we're not. And once we think 
we're something that we're not. Once our feeling of I passes into something that it's not, we are identified with that. And if anything threatens that, challenges that, then we start to get negative about it. And that negativity turns impressions from age 48, turns them the other way. They get coarser, they get nastier, they get more toxic. Let's just take something like this. You're suspicious. The impressions you take in confirm and amplify your suspicions. It's easy to suspect, and it's difficult to become passive to what others do and say. Think about it. Think about how easy it is to suspect that that person is thinking ill of you, that that person is laughing at you, that that person doesn't like you, that that person talks about you behind your back, that that person doesn't approve of how you look, what you're wearing, what you're saying, who you are. Think of how, that, how easy that is. It's the easiest thing in the world. We can do that in our sleep. <laughs> what do you know? That's exactly where we do it. We do it in our sleep. So that's what we do almost all the time. Now, think of how difficult it is to become passive to what others do and say. That takes Herculean effort. That takes a tremendous amount of force and energy. That takes a big, powerful work idea to mix with the impressions as they're coming in. Or else, it's easy to be suspicious. Fixed attitudes drag us to hell, and then they leave us there. And in hell, there's always weeping and gnashing of teeth. You have no idea how much you gnash your teeth. Oh, I don't mean physically, although you may. I don't mean physically. I mean psychologically, how much you weep and gnash your teeth, how much you complain and whinge about this person or that person or this situation or the weather or blah, blah, or the economy or the government or whatever. Think about it. Think about the whinging, the gnashing our teeth that we do psychologically about the government, about taxes, about the cost of gasoline, about the price of food, about everything. We find something to whinge about, and we spend our lives in this hell of toxic, negative emotions, in this state of angst and upset, in this state of being victims, in this state of being put upon by the whole world. Why? Why is because we gave in to our worst negative emotions infesting the emotional center. We talked about this. The emotional center is infested with negative emotions. Infested. It's crawling with negative emotions. It's swarming with the worst kind of vile, negative garbage that we can possibly find. We're good about this because we can always find somebody who has worse negative emotions, and we think that that lifts us up. But you know, in the cesspool, what level you're at in the cesspool doesn't really matter that much. Whether you're a foot deep or two feet deep or just treading on the top of it, you know, if you've got your nose above it. It doesn't really matter. You're still in the cesspool. It's still hell. Do you understand? And so it's like, so comparing yourself with someone else in hell who's in worse shape, that's a brainless consolation prize. It's a low percentage thing to do when you could get out. See, what I'm talking about is getting out of that and getting yourself washed off, getting yourself purified, getting yourself cleansed from that and not diving back in after you get clean. You know, it's like Rex and Pat have this dog, Maggie, and they live on a couple of acres, so Maggie gets to run a lot. Well, Maggie gets to run and roll in things. And out there, you can roll in dead things, or you can roll in excrement. You can There's lots of things a dog can roll in. Maggie is a roller. She comes back after she's rolled in something, and Rex gets the hose, because they can't bring her in the house. She's so filthy. And hoses her off, and she hates that, and gets her all clean, washes her. And, and what does she do? She runs right back out and rolls in something again. 
I got to get this smell off me and get some good stink back on me the way I'm supposed to be. And that's what we do. We get out of the negativity. Somebody yanks us out of the negativity. We get around some being of a higher order or some being that operates at a different level. And we automatically, just by being in that presence, automatically start to be transformed. We automatically start to be lifted and refined. But it won't last because we didn't do it. So what we do is we either work to stay there or we go back to rolling whatever it is, rolling our misery. As Guanca says, rolling in misery, this entire lifetime, rolling in misery. And when you think about your life, think about it like how much you've rolled in misery, how much you have done to yourself, rolling in misery by rolling in these toxic negative emotions, welcoming them. Somebody brings up somebody else to talk about, and oh boy, we can't wait to get our shot in. That's rolling in misery, people. That's rolling in negative emotions. That's giving in to our worst negative emotions. It's easy to suspect. Everything seems to fit together. Have you ever noticed that? Everything seems to just fit together seamlessly once you start suspecting. One of the things that Connie says is, uh, well, I haven't found out yet. I haven't found that out yet. And I almost always say, not to her, but of course to myself, oh, you will. When you're suspicious, you will. You will find out. You will find out exactly what you're suspicious of. Whether it's true or not, won't matter because everything will fit together and your suspicion will be confirmed. It's a very nasty state to be in. I suggest that you avoid it at all costs. But once you have developed a taste for it, it's very difficult to give it up. It's a comfort food because when you suspect, you're better than other people. When you suspect, you're putting them lower. You never suspect better things about people. You never suspect greater things about people. You only suspect worse things about people. And the only reason to suspect worse things about people is so that you can feel better about your worst self. Suspicion is always due to identifying. Okay, now I want you to listen to this. Identifying is not love. We have it mixed up here on this planet. We think that identifying is love. We think when we're jealous, oh, well, I'm jealous because I love that person. No, you're jealous because you're identified. And identification is not love. And the truth about identification is it leads quickly to hate, very quickly, which is why jealous people end up killing people. That's hate. If we're negative, it's always our fault. If we're negative, it always leads to violence. These are two very, very powerful work ideas that you should keep one in your right hand and one in your left hand. You should keep them there and you should look at them often. In fact, it would be a good idea to eat from your left hand and your right hand. It would be a good idea to eat those ideas, to take them inside of you, to make them a part of you, to use them as the food that comes in at the top story of this three-level house that we call ourselves. So we've talked about suspicion. Let's talk about something apparently less noxious, nostalgia. Nostalgia is looking back. Nostalgia kills the present. Lot's wife, remember the story of Lot's wife? They're leaving Sodom and Lot's wife looks back and she's turned to a pillar of salt. Well, of course, in the stony ground of truth where people take everything literally, they think that Lot's wife was literally turned into a pillar of salt. Mm, that's not what that means. In the East, people could be kind of nasty. They would go and sow an enemy's field with salt. Well, why would they do that? Well, because nothing grows in salt. Salt is lifeless. It's not going to grow in salt. You put salt in a, you salt somebody's field, nothing's going to grow there. So that's why they said, oh, she was turned into a pillar of salt. What that means, the idiom, all that really means is when you spend your life looking back, 
you've spent your life. You've killed your life. You've killed yourself. You have no present. You've killed the present. You've killed your potential for this moment. You've killed your potential for transformation. You've killed your potential for psychological evolution. You've killed it. You've killed yourself, essentially, by looking back. That's all that means. She killed herself by looking back. Another way they put it in the esoteric teachings is if you put your hand on the plowshare and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. You you can't have an expanding state of consciousness by looking back. If you put your hand to the plowshare, what does that mean? If you've started this work and you look back, you're not fit for an expanding state of consciousness. You're not going to expand. The more you look back, the more you're going to turn to salt, the more you're going to make your life lifeless, the more you're going to kill the present moment, which is the only moment that you have in which you can transform. You cannot transform tomorrow. You cannot transform yesterday. You can only transform in this present moment with these impressions coming in right now in this moment, and you have to mix these work ideas with these incoming impressions, and you have to transform them now, not some other time. You can't store it in your cheek and then eat it later, chew it later. You have to do it now. And if you don't, if you keep looking back, you won't do it now. That's nostalgia. If you understand what this work teaches, you'll be able to look forward and not back. Hopelessness is looking back. It's not looking forward. It's looking back. Can you see that? Romanticism is looking back. It's not looking forward. It's looking back. And it's looking back with imagination, which is even worse. Once we have the internal reversal that this work brings, we realize that we must never look back. You're not safe looking back. It's not a safe way to drive unless you're backing up. It's not a safe way to walk unless you're walking backwards. It's not safe. And it's certainly not a safe way to try and transform by looking back. You've got to look ahead. You've got to look forward. If you receive impressions negatively, habitually, you'll look back and get sick. So if your habit is to constantly take in impressions negatively, you're going to get sick. It's just a matter of time. Or you're going to stay sick, probably already sick. Then you're just going to stay sick. In the work, you won't progress because the force gained from the work efforts that you make will be eaten by habitual negative emotions. Remember, everything's eating something. Well, what do you think eats all these wonderful impressions that you are trying to transform if you start to look back? What's going to eat them is negative emotions. It'll just pull them down and eat them, and you won't have them anymore. This is why we must first become aware of our negative emotions, why the work is so persistent in this. Become aware of your negative emotions. Try not to express them. Becoming aware that you can be negative is a big deal for a lot of people. Trying not to express them is like, well, I can't do that. Well, maybe not right now, but if you continue to make effort, you will be able to move a little bit. We can't work on them and not identify with them if we can't observe them. So the first step is to see that we are negative. But we're so clever, we call our negative emotions something else. Are you angry? No, I'm not angry. Look at how much we lie about our negative emotions. We don't want anybody to know we're negative until we think that it will serve our purpose. Then we want them to know we're negative. So we throw a fit, a tantrum. We rant and rave. We scream and yell. We throw things. We bang things. We break things. Or whatever we do. Pound our fists. Stamp our feet. Make a face narrow our eyes, roll our eyes, do whatever it is we do. That's all done for a reason. That's all done because we want to display our negative emotions in the same way that a gorilla displays its teeth to another gorilla. Stay out of my territory. Stay away from me. Back off. And that's why we do that. So we're proud of our negative emotions. We want our negative emotions. Our negative emotions are our savior. They're keeping us safe. And that's why we think we want them. But it's all a lie. 
Most incoming impressions are taken mechanically, nourishing negative thoughts and emotions. You don't really have to do anything to be negative. Just don't change a thing. You know, just be yourself. That's all you have to do. Nothing. You don't have to do anything. And the impressions that come in will, nine out of ten times, be taken negatively and will nourish that dark side of you. Will keep the emotional center infested with that so that you have no chance of ever having a real emotion. There's just no room for real emotion to fit. No real emotion will go anywhere near that infestation, that filth, any more than you would think of diving headfirst into a cesspool. At least I hope you wouldn't. Transformation of impressions from 48 to 24 to 12 to 6 doesn't happen in mechanical man. Men 1, 2, and 3, it doesn't happen in them, ever. Not accidentally, not ever. It doesn't happen. You have to reach the stage of man number four to transform an impression into something higher. It doesn't happen any other way. It can't be done mechanically. It has to be done consciously. In order for you to do that, you have to start to become aware of yourself. You have to reach the state of self-consciousness. You have to reach it, even if it's just for a moment. You have to be in that state in order to transform an impression into something higher. Transform a 48 into a 24. Transformation begins only when ideas coming from higher sources meet the impressions at the door at the top floor. You've got to have these ideas that come from higher sources, that come from sea influence, as the work calls it. Ideas that come from outside of our little closed system, which is really pretty twisted. Our little closed system on this planet has killed millions and millions and mil- billions of people. The Crusades, the First World War, the Second World War, the Spanish-American War, the Civil War. We could go on into the Hundred-Year War, the Ten-Year War, the Nine-Year War, the Three-Minute War, the Seven-Day War, the Six-Day War. I mean, we can go on and on. History is nothing but pockmarks. It's like the moon where wars have come through and hit history. Bam, and left a pockmark there. Bam, left a crater there. And millions of people died because of that. That's our history. That's what happens from us doing nothing. That's what happens from us just keeping the status quo. But something, an idea that comes from outside of there is that we're all connected. We're all one. We're all part of this organic film that coats this planet. We need to treat each other and all living things with more respect, with more awareness, with more consciousness, with more understanding. That idea is absolutely incredible. It does not come from this system. If that idea were to take root on this planet, it could change everything. It won't, but it could. It won't take root. And it won't take root because people cannot wake up. And people cannot wake up because they imagine they're already fully conscious, just like we do. So transformation begins only when ideas coming from higher sources meet the impressions at the door at the top floor where impressions are coming in. And of course, that's mentally. 768-192 is transformed for you, as I've said. Impressions are not transformed for you, but you still can transform them. It's where mechanical man can begin to stop being mechanical man. The place where impressions are coming in and where you can store these, where you can bring these ideas to that place mentally, start to think in a new way. Then when the impressions come, your new way of thinking will see them and it will turn them just a little bit. And that will raise them up just a little. And that's all you need, just a little at a time, a little at a time. Because the better you get at it, the more you will do it. And you stop being so mechanical by doing that. Transformation of impressions is giving oneself the first conscious shock. That's what that is. You're giving yourself the first conscious shock. When can you give yourself the first conscious shock? Now. The only time you can give yourself the first conscious shock is now, with the impressions that are coming in now. But right now, you can give yourself the first conscious shock about something in the past, because that can be an impression right now. 
You can remember somebody and start to get negative. And right now, bring a work idea up to that. Give yourself that first conscious shock at that point and transform that impression from something in the past that was negative to something now. And you will transform that impression from the past. You can cleanse your past now. You can purify yourself now. You can look back or you can look forward. If you're in this work and you understand how to transform impressions, you will be able to look forward and bring what is in the past into the present in a new way. You'll be able to transform it. That's a powerful idea. Have you tried taking incoming impressions in a whole new way? You can't until you've begun to think in a new way. Remember that another person is impressions. All external life is impressions that you can receive and react to one way or another. That's all it is. A person is impressions and their effect on you. I don't mean the person's effect on you. I mean a person is impressions and the impressions effect on you. And it's up to you. Can you stay awake long enough to mix the incoming impressions with these higher work ideas, these ideas that come from another source, that come from sea influence, and transform them into a food that can be eaten by something higher that will then open up a whole world to you of possibilities that now seem miraculous? So if you're in search of the miraculous, there's a way to get to it. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.